0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show.
1: And welcome back. I'm Heather Carroll. It's
2: great to have everybody back. Thanks for listening. I'm Deacon Paul Trinan at the Abbey of the Hills in northern South Dakota. And um, gosh, we've had a, a, a busy morning just flying through and Heather... Excited about our next.
1: I know. I'm really interested in this next guest. Um, We have Dr. Paul Carson on the line with us. Good morning, Dr. Carson.
0: Good morning, Heather and Deacon Paul. Pleasure to be with you.
1: Thanks for joining us. We're going to start off real quick because I think we're going to run out of time with you. So, um, real quick, if you could let the listeners know um, who you are, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh,
0: My name's uh, Dr. Paul Carson. I'm a physician that specializes in infectious diseases, Um, worked for over 25 years uh, up in Fargo doing clinical medicine, but for the last eight years, I've been teaching at North Dakota State University in the Department of Public Health on how to manage infectious diseases from a public health perspective.
1: Wow. So I wonder what we have him on talking about this morning, Deacon. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's not
2: beekeeping. I know it's that. not beekeeping. So, <laughs> no. so, Department of Public Health. Wow! 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 Um, uh, first of all, let's do, let's just like let's let's get a big, big, broad perspective. Yeah. Um, where were you at in this whole thing with this virus about a year ago, Doctor Paul? Where I mean, you're just starting to hear about it. Maybe we're we're, we're right. Where, where where were things at in your from your perspective a year ago or so.
0: Right. I, I remember this, uh, um, you know, a year ago, I started reading about these first cases appearing in China and that it was a virus similar to the SARS virus we saw that caused a very, uh, scary outbreak in 2003. Um, and, uh, started kind of thinking, oh boy, is this going to be similar to that? Uh, Hopefully it won't be as infectious as that and less lethal. But I was starting to watch it very carefully. And then within, uh, I think it was a little less than a month, we started hearing about cases in the state of Washington and in New York. And when I heard about the first outbreak in a nursing home in New York, I called my very good friend, who's the CEO of um, one of the nursing homes where I'm a medical director, uh, part of the Sisters of Mary Presentation Health System, and said, uh, "You know, Tony, we need to we need to be on the lookout for this. This is very scary and could be a very big deal for us." Uh, that was that was in February, but I was it was on my radar in January, and I got really nervous in February.
2: Yeah, yeah and there was so much that was unknown, and it was just coming at us like a steamroller. Um, a lot of fear. A lot of, a lot of, 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 you know, very true that we should be very concerned, and and, um, and a lot of changes since then. So, I don't. I think I, I don't. Sometimes our listeners, in the sense from me, is do, I don't want to talk about this. I'm anymore. tired of the subject.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think
2: the perspective of today is to say, hey, let's get an expert on. To talk about Mm -hmm. what's going forward. Yeah. we are people of faith, right? And and I'm going to qualify this, something that Dr. Paul said off air. I said, hey, did you happen to hear us talking about a mutual friend, Dr. Brian DeLage? And he goes, you know, I I didn't hear that because I wasn't able to get online. I go, oh, busy, you know, probably Mm -hmm. classes or stuff. You know what he said to us listeners? He said, I was actually at adoration. So this is the perspective that we're asking Father Paul Carson, a man Mm -hmm who's, who's, who's walking the walk Is a Catholic, you know, I'm sure he's not walking on water. Maybe, on,
1: <laughs> maybe walks on
2: snow, but what's your perspective now as we look at COVID-19 going forward, we've got the vaccines that are out, right? Um, right. Let's, what's your perspective on the vaccines right now?
0: Yeah, so much to to talk about there. And I appreciate you trying to make me an honorary father. It's uh, I'm not oh, father, Did I do that? You, I, did that. Oh, God, you did I it. that.
1: And, uh, I said it was gonna be me, but uh, it was deacon. Doctor Paul, Dr. Dr.
0: Paul Carson. Yep. And <laughs> I and I'm not walking on water, I can assure you. But uh, um, I uh, uh, so I, I will say, you know, from the perspective of an infectious disease physician, somebody in public health, um, we've been Waiting and hoping that a vaccine could emerge, that could uh, slow this down or, or hopefully stop this uh, global pandemic. And um, you know, it's sort of a two-edged sword that the vaccine has has come out so fast. This is the this is the fastest we've ever been able to see a vaccine from conception to develop to development to release. Um, you know, in our, in our history, which which is a great thing in that we've got now a, a big tool, but it actually makes people real nervous, like, was this brought uh-huh. out too fast? Was it done with cutting corners? Is it, is it really safe? And um, those are a lot of the questions I deal with on a daily basis uh, sure. with, you know, patients, with family members, with friends, and, we, you know, we can get into that in more details. But from a, from a public health and an infectious disease physician uh, perspective, we are ecstatic about this vaccine.
1: Hmm.
2: That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it really came through quick. Um,
2: I mean, quick is in the perspective of, of the beholder, I suppose. But yep. like you said, there's never been a, a vaccine that's been from conception to, to dispersal ever been this quick. And um, hats off to the people that have been behind that and, and pushing it and encouraging it.
1: So, Doctor, from your perspective, um, I, I tend to get uh, disgruntled by national media Mm -hmm. Um, And some of their perspectives of how bad this virus actually is. Um, I wanted your opinion from a Catholic man and from an infectious disease doctor. You know, is this pandemic really as bad as we thought, worse, or what's your opinion on that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I want to address that a little more deeply. First, I I want to just take the kind of surface question, and I want to go a little bit more deeply about what you just sort of conveyed in in that question, which is really common with what I see in my co parishioners and friends and family. Uh, You know, this is a very serious infectious disease. It's a very serious pandemic. If you look at a number of the epidemiologic parameters that we look at, like how infectious is it, how uh, lethal is it, how uh, much does it make people sick, it's It's far, far worse than pretty much um any of our seasonal influenzas, and it gets in the ballpark of what we saw with the Spanish flu of nineteen eighteen, which was a devastating uh epidemic you know in the United States now we have uh you know well over uh, four hundred thousand people who have died um, uh with the diagnosis of covid A lot of people say, well, we think we're over, you're overcounting that actually uh, I don't have the time to go into it, but we we're undercounting it. We miss a lot of the diagnoses for for a lot of reasons, and there's there's evidence that the number of deaths—just take it from any cause, forget putting a COVID la- label on it—the number of deaths from any cause in the United States has skyrocketed in this last year compared to the previous five-year trends. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why is that? What? Why do we have so many more deaths? And the, the obvious explanation is—is is this uh, epidemic? But um, you know we. We as human beings have a natural tendency to, to sort of deny kind of tough realities around us. We, we all do this. And we certainly see it in medicine all the time. We, we see people when they're given sort of bad news or difficult diagnoses, diagnosis that the first thing is to kind of sort of deny that it's there. Um, and then we also have a tendency to engage a lot of what we call different cognitive biases. We tend to look for information that confirms what we want to believe we, we look for information that will support, uh, you know, our ideas that this, this can't be this bad. And we look and we tend to filter out things that may counter that. Um, but this is the real deal. This is the, you know, we, we in public health infectious diseases do a lot of thinking and trying to plan and prepare for uh, serious pandemic infectious diseases. And this is it. This is the real deal. So not only has it killed 400,000 people in the United States, it's hospitalized somewhere around 800,000. And I can tell you in the nursing home where I'm the medical director, when it hit our nursing home hard uh, back in uh, April and May, uh, you know, we had 19 of our residents die within just a mm. few weeks. I mean, that was devastating, devastating.
1: Yeah, I think I, think I, I love your perspective on we kind of want to stick our head in the sand because uh, it's safer there, it's friendlier there, and it is. avoidance is is friendlier. <laughs> so yeah. I, I I love that perspective. Um, and if you know, if I can add
0: to that, Heather, you know, sure. another sort of thought on this from the Catholic perspective that I really saw in my own family and, and others is that, you know, the the initial kind of lockdowns that kept us from church, kept us from the sacraments. You know, was a deeply troubling thing to to many of us who, uh, you know, cherish our faith and our ability to to engage in in those you know vitally important things, and so that added, I think, especially as we as Catholics, to to the the idea that like I don't like this, I don't like what they're making me do with this, I don't like what's happening with this. And I think it sort of played into uh, uh, a sentiment of, you know, I, I'm just not, I'm not playing. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. going to go along with this. Um, right. what, you know, what, thankfully, thankfully we're back at Mass, and thankfully we're back, you know, receiving the sacraments. But that was, that was a real challenge for many of us.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I'll hear from folks, they'll say, hey, the chances of getting the disease are like uh, in the 3 to 4% aisle and the chances of dying from the disease are quite a bit less than that, especially age-related. What are your responses to those kinds of inquiries?
0: Yeah, so those are, those are fair questions. So if you kind of take a look at the, you know, what's your chances of, of dying from infection? So there's, there's, there's getting the infection and there's getting sick from the infection, okay? So just getting the infection, your chances of dying overall or somewhere around, um, 0.5 to 0.7 percent. So you can say, well, 99.5 percent of us will do fine. But the, the kicker with this is 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 the overall attack rate. How many of us will ultimately get infected? And there's actually every reason to believe that if we can't stop it with a vaccine, this will march through the population and ultimately infect pretty much all of us. So yeah. when you multiply out 0.5 to 0.7 percent mortality rate. That's like one to two million people in the United States. And then when you, you can double that number or more for how many will be hospitalized with it. And and here's the scary thing to me is we, we saw our hospitals like nearly overrun when this was peaking in North Dakota. And you had it in South Dakota there as well. I mean, we were really, really struggling. And the people that are coming out of the hospital with this, I mean, they get very sick. And they're having problems. Uh, we are seeing long term lung damage, heart effects, um, f- severe fatigue, uh, memory problems that's lasting out months, and uh, we're, we're going to be struggling with you know rehabbing people who didn't die but really mm-hmm. were affected adversely from this uh, infection.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Paul Carson. He's an infectious disease doctor up in the Fargo area. Um, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have more uh, discussion with Dr. Paul Carson. I'm Heather Carroll. And this is Deacon Paul Trinan. And we'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, And live on the Real Presence Radio Network.
2: Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues
0: to receive your support in perpetuity? This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show.
1: And welcome back. I'm Heather Caro.
2: It's great to have you all back. I'm Deacon Paul Trinan. We're having this great interview, this great conversation with a Catholic physician, Dr. Paul Carson, who's out of well, he's out of Fargo. He works with currently is we're primarily a professor at NDSU in the Department of Public Health. So welcome again, Dr. Paul. It's great to have you. Thank you. Good to be with you. You know, we've been talking about a few things, the the, the development of the vaccine. We've talked about um, the, the reality of the deadliness of COVID. And um, we'd like to kind of move this towards a maybe talking about a terminology that a lot of us have heard of now called herd immunity. Herd immunity. So, from somebody who knows exactly what that's about, what would your your perspective be on herd immunity for COVID, doctor?
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, vaccines work in two ways. Uh, first is, you know, when we receive a vaccine as an individual, it um, hopefully it has its effect and protects us from that particular disease as an individual. But uh, another very important aspect of vaccination, um, and maybe even the most important aspect, is that When you have enough of a population immunized or immune to a particular pathogen, um, that pathogen may not have any opportunity to spread in that population. And that's what we call herd immunity, where you've got enough people immune that the pathogen just, just can't even get a foothold and can't spread from person to person. And that threshold varies. From uh, pathogen to pathogen. It it varies based on how infectious it really is. So, for like measles, which is highly infectious, measles will, one person with measles will on average infect somewhere between 12 to 15 other people. For us to have herd immunity to measles, you need about 95% of the population immunized. Um, For uh, SARS CoV 2, it will uh, it typically will infect somewhere between two to two and a half to three and a half people for every person who gets it. To reach herd immunity to SARS CoV two, we estimate that we need somewhere between sixty five to eighty percent of the population um, uh, to be immune to hit that herd immunity. And that herd immunity is very important because not everybody will respond to the vaccine and not everybody can receive a vaccine. Some people yeah. have allergies, some people have medical contraindications. Um, you know, uh, some people aren't going to respond well. And so they depend on the rest of us. There, there's sort of a notion of, well, we'll talk about hopefully in a second of solidarity here with, uh, with one another. There's a notion of we sort of are in this together to protect each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So from your Perspective: You're on a, a maybe a hill or a mountain a little bit higher than a lot of the rest of us. If you were able to look for, forward with an, an estimate, obviously, when do you think that herd immunity might be attained?
0: Yeah, well, that's the sixty-four million dollar. that's, million. Question. that's yeah. a million dollar question. Yeah. That, that, that's the sixty-four million dollar question. So, you know, it will be through a combination of uh, immunity from vaccination and prior infection. And now, I just uh, there was just a paper published in a scientific journal uh, where some you know clever people with mathematical models actually estimated that us here in the Dakotas might have sixty percent of the population already have been infected. I think there's some problems with their model, but um and I think that's probably an overestimate. but we have had a lot of people infected in the Dakotas, so um, and one of the things I've actually encouraged in our state and other places, uh, because the vaccine is rolling out you know, a little slower than we'd hoped, so that if you've had the infection, we, we think you probably, as an act of charity, move to the back of the line. Let people who haven't uh, had it uh, try and get it first. But through that combination of past infection and immunization, we think we can hit that uh, herd immunity. I think sort of the most optimistic estimates would be by this fall or late in the year. But, but as we get closer and closer, spread will diminish. Uh, we hope we hopefully won't see the, these explosive bursts of growth like we've seen in the, in the, in the past year as, as the vaccine rolls out more and more.
1: Well, now I have a couple of questions about the vaccine. First off is, um, so when you get the measles vaccine, it takes care of it. But when you get the flu vaccine, you have to get it every year. Yeah. COVID this vaccine which one is it more like? You know <laughs> what I'm asking? 60,
0: yeah, that's, oh yeah, that's a great question. It's an excellent question. So that's, that's another meaningful. $64 million question. So Okay,
1: this is um, a big uh, question.
0: <laughs> yeah, this so this, this depends on how rapidly the virus mutates. So uh, mm. influenza we say is a very promiscuous virus. It, it 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 and it's sloppy in its replication. So it mutates a lot and it changes from season to season, and that's why we have to get a different version of the flu vaccine every year. Measles, on the other hand, hardly mutates at all. It has very strict, very good, what we call replication integrity. It kind of makes a good copy of itself every time. And it, I mean, the same vaccine that was developed in the, um, in the fifties, uh, um, I'm sorry, in the seventies for, for measles, um, is the basically the same one we're using now. <clears throat> um, SARS-CoV-2 does not mutate anywhere nearly as much as influenza, but it's more than measles. It's it's going to be somewhere in between. And we're seeing some new strains you may have heard about starting to emerge, the UK strain, the South Africa strain, the Brazil strain. So far, the vaccine, the immune response that it makes seems to work against those new strains as well. It's theoretically possible that you know, down the road, a new strain may emerge that we have to tweak the vaccine and change it up. My okay. hope is that this thing is good for, you know, at least five years, but it remains, honestly, it remains to be seen.
1: Right. Another question that is brought up by a lot of Catholics addressing the vaccine. Um, are there any moral implications for the way it was obtained that we should avoid yeah. getting it? or? Yeah.
0: Right. Very important World. question. Yeah. So what are the ethical kind of considerations around the vaccine? So some vaccines are made um, with the use of cell cultures where you grow. For example, you grow a virus in a cell culture and some of those cell culture lines were derived from uh, aborted fetuses taken in the 60s uh, or the 70s and more, most recently a cell line from the early 1980s. Um, those were a, a single abortion where the cells were taken and then kept you know, propagating in a culture to be able to use those to, to grow the virus. The current two vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, do not use cell cultures at all to, to make the vaccine. It's a novel technology where you basically synthesize in a lab a little piece of RNA. However, um, both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines benefited from some early experiments, sometimes from other scientists, not even necessarily working uh, with these companies that did use uh, in, you know, one or more experiments, uh, one of these unethical cell lines to, to do some aspect of the proof of concept of this thing. So mm-hmm. there's a connection. Um, it's very remote. Um, And so, when we, you know, it's a little hard to get into the whole discussion of cooperation with evil, but this is considered uh, very remote. Um, They are these cell lines are not used at all in the manufacturing process uh, of these um, current vaccines. There is one that's coming up, Johnson and Johnson, that's up for review soon. It is manufactured in these unethical cell lines.
2: Okay, Um, you know, I got to say, I got to say, Heather, Mm -hmm. thank you for asking that question because I think that as Catholics. Um, I know, as Catholics, that's on a lot of people's minds yeah. right now. Sure, my daughter yeah. works; she works down at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. She's an RN, the ER. They're saying you got to take this vaccine. And she's looking at her deacon dad, saying, "What do you think about this?" And yeah, you know, we're we're trying to figure and glean yeah. the moral yeah. cor- correct path to take as well. So, thanks for lending some light on that.
0: And if, if I could add, just really quickly, so you know when. So the Pontifical Academy for Life has weighed in on this. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has weighed in on this. The National Catholic Bioethics Center has weighed in on this. All of them note that, you know, we all have a, a stake in the, the concern about um, how unethical cell lines were used in any stage of the process. But in that idea of cooperation with evil, uh, the Catholic Church teaches us that, you know, there is, how close are we to it how re- or how remote is it? And what is the other proportional good that is derived from it? And, and all of these entities have, I, I think, they leave us as Catholics to follow our conscience in the end. But most of them do advocate, actually, that the proportional good that will come from this needs to be strongly considered. And as we know, Pope Francis himself just received the vaccine not too long ago.
2: It is, this subject of following our conscience is, is kind of like... Uh, the headliner for the show because it's come up in interview Solidarity, interview. yeah. Solidarity. But the, this conscience, you've got to form it. And, and I think Dr. Paul Carson is helping us form our conscience by giving these um, Catholic um, entities who've, who've struggled to, to, to guide us as mm-hmm. a church. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, I'll, I'll teach confirmation to my kids tonight the Word of God mm-hmm. and the teachings of the church. The Word of God and the teachings of the church have to be a part of, of our, our, our moral are more compassed in guiding our conscience. Yeah. So thank you for doing that.
1: We've only got a couple minutes, Dr. Carson, left. Um, any last thoughts for the listeners on our discussion today?
0: Yeah, you know, you brought up the word um, solidarity. And, so, and I really appreciate, uh, Deacon, you're, you're talking about that, forming our conscience, because there's a lot of things to kind of look at. And, and from when, when the Church teaches us on forming our conscience, they ask us to form it by looking at the aspects from our faith, and also from reason, which includes sort of you know trying to struggle with the science on this. And yeah. you know one of one of the quotes I really like from John Paul II in this solid this idea of Catholic social teachings, um, teaching on solidarity. This kind of idea that we're in this together. Is, is he said that solidarity is not a feeling of vague compassion. Uh, but rather a virtue that demands a readiness to accept sacrifices necessary for the good of the whole world community. And so one of the things I think about in wrestling with this vaccine is um, a lot of people, uh, you know, have have some conscience issues, but they're they're worried about the safety and the speed. And I can assure you there weren't corners cut on the testing of this. So um, do we have some duty of overcoming our fears in solidarity with our brothers and sisters towards this idea of the common good to try and, you know, get us past this pandemic and get us over it. Uh, I'm I'm just grateful for the gifts of the research community and science, you know, bringing some of these treatments forward and vaccines forward, and I'm much more optimistic about where we're going to be in this next year than we were in 2020.
1: Wonderful. Amen. We could have you on for another hour. And I wouldn't, I would, I would, we would be able to discuss this whole time.
2: Yeah, because I didn't touch on something I said we would (laughs) on uh, off air. I said, you know, you're, you're, you're the professor at NDSU of public health. And Mm -hmm. and that doesn't, that includes a heck of a lot more than, um, than COVID. It includes a lot of mental health issues that have been, you know, exploding because of the lack of,
0: of community. Very important consideration, Deacon Paul. Very important that, that we have to balance these public health interventions, and to make sure we're not causing more harm than good um, mm-hmm. when when we, we have people not able to see one another, families not being able to get together. I mean, what the, this is a tightrope balancing act of, mm-hmm. of competing goods and harms. And uh, I think in some places, we've erred on the other side. We need kids back in school. That's one of the things I will say. Yeah. We need our kids yeah. back in school. I think we've over uh, overdone things there to the detriment of children. Um, but uh, that's a very important point,
1: Deacon. Yep. Dr. Paul Carson, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure having you on.
0: Great to be with you. Thank you. God yes. bless you both. Thank God you. God bless you. Thank you.
1: All right, Deacon Paul, we've got to take another quick break when we come back. Seminarians.
2: Yeah, I'll go round them up.
1: All right. We'll be right back, folks.